All right, all right, all right. I'm Tony Miller, and this is the Miller Meets World podcast, where I talk to brave people with inspiring stories and big impact. This episode is brought to you by Melissa Miller of Compass Real Estate. When you're buying or selling a home in Santa Barbara or Montecito, you want Melissa's eye for timeless style and her invaluable ability to negotiate the best deal. Melissa is offering virtual or in-person agent services. Give Melissa a call at 805-570-9511 or visit compass.com. I was struck by a recent Barron's article about the large size and rapid growth of the demographic in the U.S. of those over 60. The article shared how historically organizations and businesses have overlooked this demographic, but should no longer due to their tremendous economic, social, and cultural power. The article was part of a series of articles written to support the publication of a book called What Retirees Want, A Holistic View of Life's Third Age by Ken Dykewald and Bob Morrison. I'm happy to have Bob Morrison, half of the publishing team, here as my guest today. Bob is a researcher, writer, speaker, and consultant, and an authority on what happens at the intersection of business, technology, and people management. Bob has been collaborating with Ken and AgeWave for 20 years, and they have co-authored two books. Bob, how are you today? I'm very good, very happy to be here. Um, and I have to say right off the bat, I love the name of your show. Huh. If if all the world's your stage, that kind of precludes my going too far off point. So <laughs> let's count that a blessing. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that compliment. Bob, you and Ken have been researching and publishing on the topic of ages for decades. What is the focus of your work and what is the third age? The focus of the work is how retirement is being transformed. I mean, even as we speak, largely at the hands of the baby boom generation. Roughly half of the boomers are now retired and they're retiring at the rate of about 10,000 a day. And several forces are at work, but if you put together the increasing longevity of Americans and people worldwide, plus basic population growth, plus the outsized, if you will, size of the baby boom, you wind up with more people spending more time in retirement. So if you'll bear with me for a moment, I'll give you a few of the statistics. Uh, Ken loves to point out that for in terms of life expectancy, for 99 point something percent of the time our species has been on the planet, life expectancy was less than 18. You go to the start of the previous century, 1900, it was only 47. And then we had a century of just extraordinary uh, growth life expectancy driven by advances in basically the combination of nutrition and medical care. Basically, between 1900 and 2000, life expectancy in the U.S. rose from 47 to 77, which is just extraordinary. And now it's up to 79. In fact, it's leveled off a bit. But uh, who knows what advances in longevity medicine or other medical breakthroughs may have maybe on the near horizon. But if you look in terms of actual portion of the population, in 1900, there were 3 million people over the age of 65. who are 4% of the population. In 2000, there are 35 million people over 65. They're 12% of the population. And that's actually accelerating. We're now up to 52 million people, 17% of the population. So more people spending more time in retirement, mm-hmm. a larger portion of the population in retirement. 
And that simply makes retirement a bigger part of life. And for most people, it's an exciting and enjoyable part of life. So let's try to think about it differently. And so that's why we like to call it the third age. Okay, so the third age, can you just briefly go over what the ages are, the first, second, and third ages? Basically, the first age is of uh, growth and initial development. You know, it may go to age 25 or so these days. Uh, the second is uh, the age, we might call it uh, maturity or midlife. But it's basically taking all you learned as you grew up and applying it and going through the common things of having a job, raising a family. The third age is after work becomes, or work stops being, may not stop entirely, but it stops being maybe a primary focus of your life. The third age is more relaxed. People enjoy that more leisurely, but also uh, more reflective. It uh, can be an age of wisdom. It can be an age of, in fact, we try to make the case in the book, it should be an age of giving back sharing what you've learned, not necessarily through directly through work and family, but in kind of broader social context. So that's a great point. And I want to get to that a little bit later. Um, that's that's actually the most interesting point. Right now, um, what, what do you think the average life expectancy for someone being born today will be? I am not an expert on that. Ken and I talk about this sometimes. He, I think, uh, often mentions uh, some experts who say that it may be 150. Yeah, that's, Maybe the that's outer crazy. People. Well, <laughs> but uh, I'm, I guess I'm a more conservative type. Uh, I do think it's quite possible that the average person born today will live to be more than 100. And a number of people in, in the you know medical and longevity field mm -hmm. think that's a pretty safe bet. That's a long, long time. And um, it would be nice to have, I think, whenever I think about living a long, long time, I, I think, gosh, yeah, I, I just want to have a really high quality of life if I do live right. that long. So um, I, I wonder what, who is the audience for the research that you do? Well, the audience for this book is an interesting, interesting question. We, uh, we, including the publisher, took a bit of a risk because we wound up with two audiences. The initial audience was uh, started as a, as a business book, helping businesses tap into what we call uh, the biggest market hiding in plain sight. By ignoring retiree market, they're basically missing the boat. And in fact, we have two audiences. One is businesses, government agencies, nonprofits, anybody, any organization that needs to understand retirees and also overcome their own tacit ageist assumptions about life and retirement in order to serve them better and tap into that market. Uh, those 65 and over, uh, comprise, as I said, 17% of the population. They control 38% of the net worth in the United States. So that's, there's a yeah. fair market there. Second audience, in the, in the process of putting together this knowledge and advice, we actually created a compendium of great interest to retirees, pre-retirees, and I hope someday to retirees about what are all the options available to them, what kind of organizations there to serve them, what can they explore? Okay. Rather than just doing the obvious. So, so two if, audiences. If I heard you right, then basically marketers or businesses who are you know building businesses to serve the needs of retirees, mm -hmm. and then retirees themselves. Right. And the other the other couple of things you need to know to to appreciate what's in the book. It's based on more than a dozen studies uh, conducted over roughly a decade, looking at specific facets of life and retirement. 
and at retirement and overall, all those things fit together, hence the holistic in our title. Uh, but those more specific facets of, of life and retirement, there's a chapter for each in the book, include work, leisure, health, family, home, finances, and purpose, which also includes giving, volunteering, giving back. Okay. Yeah. Looking at the fact that this demographic has been overlooked or ignored for most of history, um, I kind of surveyed <clears throat> some marketers and I found that the the reason that that is is because the, there's an interpretation that they are very fixed in their ways. Um, so they're they're not really very they're not likely to be marketed to because they're not easily persuaded. Their decision tree is is hard to, you know, change. Mm -hmm. With, <laughs> I think that what I read in your your work is that that's not the case. But and I want you to talk about that. But I also want you to give some, if you can, some examples for where they've been overlooked and ignored. The, the first half of the question that was more the case for the generation. Uh, that comprises today's older retirees, uh, the generation basically being solely replaced or supplemented by the boomers in retirement. They grew up in the Depression. They were more conservative. They were more frugal. They were relatively young when uh, brand marketing became a, whether you want to call it an art or a science, I don't know. Uh, the boomers, in fact, uh, have tended to want to uh, be rule breakers and try new things. And that carries over into retirement. So I think it's a mistake to uh, think that retirees are set in their ways. It's a mistake, I think, to uh, believe that somehow by appealing to retirees, you can't be appealing to younger people as well. It's a mistake to ignore the market. It's a mistake to assume that retirees are on the downhill when most of them are having more fun and more happiness in their lives than at any previous point. Maybe the biggest mistake of all is to assume that retirees are all the same, set in their ways, when in fact there's enormous variety. Yeah, can you expound on some of these misperceptions? Um, for instance, all retirees not being the same, maybe they're not slowing down and declining as much as is commonly thought of? Well, what we, what we say in the book is that if we, or if you, if you gathered, lined up, a group of 65-year-olds. Their situations, experiences, interests, and also their ambitions will be all over the map. One could be a newlywed, another one's going back to college, and another is starting an encore career as a teacher. Uh, one is happily empty nesting, another is happy to have children or grandchildren move in or move next door. Uh, one may be scraping by financially, another's a millionaire, and, uh, and starting a foundation. And there are a zillion gradations in between. I haven't tested this theory, but if you think of the marketing technique of uh, developing personas to describe uh, segments of your market, I would submit that you need more personas for 70-year-olds than you do 40-year-olds. Because 40-year-olds uh, have a number of fairly common and predictable constraints, usually around work and family. And 70-year-olds can be headed in whatever direction uh, their lifestyle, finances, ambitions can lead them. What have they learned from prior generations of retirees? That's something that we've researched very directly. We ask respondent how their attitudes and behaviors differ from those of usually their parents' generation. 
and retirees have learned from observing their grandparents and parents in what are probably, I guess we could safely call more predictable uh, forms of retirement. They've always been active retirees, but the boomers are more interested in adventure leisure, adventure travel, things like that. One of the most noticeable differences is in the, uh, the health category. Uh, boomers don't believe that the doctor's word is law. A lot of people in older generations still trust their physicians, trust the system. Uh, boomers are all over WebMD and community bulletin boards and learn, trying to figure out for themselves how to take care of themselves. Interesting. Is there uh, anything? Is there anything to a more um, sort of holistic medical approach versus standard Western medicine? Oh, sure, absolutely. There's there's much more interest in uh, holistic medicine, non-Western medicine, precision medicine. You know, customized to you, uh, your body, even your your DNA, and those those are all kind of uh, sets of uh, the health field. You know, everything in health is growing for obvious reasons of these days. Uh, areas of it appeal to the boomers and will, you know, grow in popularity and and market size. Okay. Now, some of the other some of the other differences between the generations. Um, you know, boomers are more ready to relocate in retirement. I'm talking about not taking the doctor's word. You know, when it comes to giving and volunteering, uh, they don't write checks to the same old charities. They're online researching where the money does the most good. Uh, in terms of finances, interestingly, they're less frugal than prior generations, and some of them are in trouble, unprepared for retirement. And that's one of the reasons that they're therefore more interested in working in retirement. What's happening now that we are experiencing this sort of life-changing pandemic for every generation? You know, what is that doing to these expectations uh, for the retiring boomer generation? Uh, this is our, our uh, book was handed over to the publisher in the middle of January. I think there's one or two references to the pandemic, but it was uh, people were just learning what it was about. But okay. if you notice uh, when it was, we added a, uh, a section to the introduction looking ahead. Since then, uh, AgeWave has uh, done a major piece of research was sponsored by Robert Jones, the financial services firm, looking at you know, taking a contemporary look at life and retirement. And uh, we did that research right in the middle of the pandemic. And those those results have just been released, uh, I think, Tuesday of this week. And they're really phenomenal. There was a fair amount of evidence already uh, coming out that uh, retirees, older people faring fairly well in the pandemic. And this research has proven that's the case. They're doing much better than younger generations, both financially and psychologically. Financially makes sense because for starters, they're not relying as much on earned in. So a lost job is not as big a factor. They were just working part-time in retirement. They have the safety nets of social security income, uh, Medicare as a health benefit, something like 78% uh, own their own homes. 60 of those are mortgage-free. Got a lot of financial security compared to young family where somebody's out of work, you're having to work from home, you lose your health coverage, and uh, life is, is crazy in the pandemic. Psychologically, they're faring better. And we attribute that to maybe the fact that they're not having to have family life and work life all mushed together with the kids at home. Uh, there's less stress, maybe less going on. But also, 
they have experience, they have wisdom, they have resilience, they've mm -hmm. been through difficult times and crises before. And so uh, they consistently say that their financial security has not been damaged as much by the pandemic and their mental or emotional well-being not been damaged as much as happened with younger well, generations. That's, that's good to hear. Um, I mean, I know that from the perspective that I've witnessed is that a lot of people are worried about their parents and they are uh, feeling sad about the fact that they aren't able to be close to their parents. So That's what this what this research showed is that, of course, uh, there's a lot of distance. If people are locked down, for example, in uh, senior living facilities. Mm -hmm. uh, but the pandemic is, in a sense, bringing families closer together. They do, in fact, worry about each other more. They're communicating with each other more. Uh, they're relying on each other more. Okay. Uh, the younger generations are relying more on the older for uh, some finan more financial support, things like that. Okay. But some of the other, what's really I think will be interesting coming out of the pandemic is it's going to shake up a lot of uh, some facets of life in retirement. Most want to stay in their own homes, but that can be perhaps too isolating. Mm -hmm. Well, I think <laughs> I want to change the um, the tone just a little bit for a second because uh, you you know you cite some uh, research by the Milken Institute and. Um, uh, one of the things that I was uh, a little surprised by and sort of amused myself with was this idea that um, s some in this generation want to live, I mean, a large percentage of this generation want to live in towns where there are universities. And so I kind of amused myself with this idea of, you know, grandparents partying with the college kids. Um, <laughs> I assume it's probably more tied to something about um, cultural activities, and but I assume that might change um, with the fact that there's, um, I don't know if transient's the, the right word, but there's a lot of transference of population through those towns. I would rethink uh, retiring <laughs> to a college town at this point. Yeah. Even one that offers all the educational and cultural and recreational uh, opportunities that they do, because of course, colleges bring many people from many places and, so, yeah. you know, are likely places for uh, the, the spread of, uh, of contagion. So what are some of the opportunities? Let's let's look at let's look down the, you know, the various facets of life and retirement we've been talking about. A lot of leisure activities are on hold right now with the pandemic. But those assuming things return to something close to normal and travel as possible, those are growth growth segments. Uh, in terms of where people live, uh, relocation services, renovation services. Yeah, that uh, was one that struck me, Bob, was this idea that um, nearly half of boomer generation retirees intend to stay in their current residence through retirement, which then when you look at how much they spend on home renovations is a staggering right. number. It's something like $117 billion annually. That's enormous. So... Um, that means uh, all you investors out there, you need to be looking at they, uh, you know Home Depot and Lowe's stock. They, they do. They do prefer <laughs> the majority of uh, retirees prefer to stay in their own homes. Uh, the boomers I mentioned earlier are less likely to feel that than the uh, generation preceding them. But uh, people over 55 account for 50 percent of the renovation dollars in the United States. And half of that is by people over 65. 
And the thing we note, those who do relocate, a fair number of retirees relocate twice. First is to you know their dream destination, and the second is later in life to where they can receive or be close to any necessary support and care. And similarly, if there's place, uh, they renovate twice. Uh, first time is to add a home office or finally do that upgraded kitchen or bathroom or you know really spiff the place up or add a room for um, children, grandchildren, even an older parent to move in. Mm -hmm. And then later on, renovate to put in place all of the necessary and sensible uh, aging friendly things like grab bars in the bathroom, widened doorways, ramps if needed, mm -hmm. lever style handles, all of that. So that that whole arena, I think, regardless of what happens to the rest of the economy, uh, a lot of the renovation space should be a, a safe bet. So more more uh, rehab this TV shows to come. <laughs> oh, uh, I love I love main cabin masters. I must, I must confess there there are probably too many of those. But but a few other examples we already talked about health, fitness, wellness, nutrition, yeah. personalized medicine, longevity medicine. Interestingly, in financial services, they've always and you know for good reason been really focused on saving money for retirement. Uh, this recent research uh, with Edward Jones that I mentioned found that a, a significant percentage of retirees find it even more complicated to figure out how to spend your money in retirement while still preserving the nest egg. There's an awkward term for decumulation instead of accumulation of your, of your assets. Hmm. So smart strategies for what to spend on. It's kind of a different view of uh, budgeting I think you have to have in retirement. So there's plenty of room for financial services to uh, to help there. But let me mention one of the, the real themes about these service opportunities is not just the service itself, <clears throat> but helping retirees sort of navigate the options or navigate the process of getting the service. Uh, the most important or the, the area where the most good needs to be done is in uh, healthcare. We're trying to understand the providers and what they offer, your coverages, paying the bill, paying for your premiums, your co-pays, how do you pay for it? And even what services might be available to you from public agencies and so on. Uh, retirees, especially older ones, have a really hard time navigating that. And the, uh, the uh, analogy we use is to the Waze, W-A-Z-E app. Yeah. That helps you, helps you get from point A to point B through traffic with the least uh, hassle possible. Well, retirees really need a Healthways app. And a lot of, you know, providers, insurers have a little bit of this, but nobody is really putting all the pieces together. Yeah. But by analogy, they could use uh, ways navigation for what are my leisure opportunities? Uh, what kind of work might I want to do? Mm -hmm. Where's a good place in my area where I can volunteer? Uh, What's, what's the best charity to donate to? Yeah. You know, Charity Navigator gets a lot of uh, web traffic because retirees, boomers, want to, as I mentioned earlier, give, uh, give effectively or it makes a difference. So their navigational support packaging of services is maybe kind of the biggest opportunity that we mentioned multiple times in the book. Very great insight. I want to move on to what I think is the most interesting compelling, and compelling perspective of all with regards to the research you're doing. What struck me most uh, in the book, you share an anecdote about the social power of the third age. 
and I want to share Ken's story from uh, your book with the audience because it's powerful. And and then I want to ask you to to share some perspective on it. I'm going to read the the, the piece that came out of the book and out of the Barron's article. Uh, this this is Ken writing. Last fall, I was speaking at a conference at which the actor Harrison Ford was on the program. He spoke passionately about climate change and how we needed to get all the young people of the world to plant trees. Everyone cheered. In a private meeting with him afterward, I explained, in the U.S., there are 68 million retirees, and worldwide, there are 1 billion. Nobody has really tasked them with anything. If you had just a fraction of retirees, let's say 100 million older men and women planting trees in whose shade they'd never sit, it would send a different kind of message to the world, a message about investing in and caring for the world beyond one's own years on earth. Ford smiled and said, I never thought of that. (laughs) I want to just quickly provide a little bit more context for that. This is from your research. In the next 20 years, baby boomer third agers will have two thirds of a trillion hours of leisure time to fill. However, last year, the average American retiree watched 49 hours of television a week. So in in a couple of different ways here, you, you make this case for how much power they hold how that resource is not really being managed very well. And I see just a lot of opportunity in that. Absolutely. And that's the, uh, that's kind of the theme on which we, we close the book. First, let me say that uh, just as an aside, one of the, one of the fun things of writing this book was uh, weaving in a lot of Ken's uh, stories and experiences because he's been working fields of gerontology aging uh, since the 1970s has worked with, uh, many, maybe a who's who of other pioneers in the field, uh, people like Maggie Kuhn. And uh, um, so it's, it's fun to work in the stories, <laughs> such as the one about yeah. Harrison Ford. But Harrison Ford, the first thing to note is here is someone who's old enough to know better, who's holding tacit ageist assumptions about <laughs> who cares about the environment, who's mm-hmm. ready to uh, volunteer to do good. The, the boomer generation and older and older generations have been under fire, kind of okay boomer style, for wrecking the environment. Uh, whether that's true or the extent, regardless of the extent to which that's true, uh, that does not preclude them from doing their best right now to help improve and restore the environment. And we should keep that in mind. But not just uh, the environment. I mean, it could be oh, absolutely. Re- absolutely redefining what it means to be a public servant, um, you know, how they are leaders and protectors. And, you know, and to use some of the terminology that, that Maggie Kuhn used, um, you know, building new coalitions across across ethnicities and economic conditions, serving as watchdogs right. of public bodies and guardians of the public interest, monitoring corporate power and responsibility on behalf of workers and societies. That is that is all part of Maggie's agenda, which is now probably even more, more a part or should be a part of uh, older Americans' agendas. Mm-hmm. A couple more things. Back to the, the Harrison Ford. Ken's piece in Barron's was for Father's Day and was kind of a call to arms to uh, older dads. As he mm-hmm. said, to father not just your own family, not just your own children, but do more to father future generations. And fathers need to hear that. Uh, you know, the organizations that made 
enormous difference in past decades is called mothers against drunk driving. So, so mothers have been uh, more attuned to stepping stepping up and taking action than fathers have. So Ken was calling to to fathers to do that. As to the opportunity, that's right. I mean, uh, however many trillion hours of leisure time, I always have to break things down as I can digest. Comes down to almost seven and a half hours of missionary time per day. And yet, as you mentioned, Nielsen still reports this. I don't know how it's possible that people can be watching 48 or 49 ungodly hours of TV. I think maybe the home renovation shows just on there in the background, I hope. People aren't glued to the set all the time. But the fact is, people's time in retirement is not spent as well as it can be. Only one in four retirees has volunteered. Only 4% of that discretionary time is spent volunteering. But at the same time, there's some uh, reasonable intent available. Retirees say retirement's the best time to give back because you got the time, you got the experience, you got a lot to offer. And the number one motivator to uh, volunteer or give is simply to make a difference in the lives of others. Mm. Uh, there's clear demand for mentors and mentoring specifically. Mm-hmm. Our recent research found that 50% of older people would li- like to be a mentor and 50% of younger people would like to have one. So we you know, really need to get organized to tap into the vast potential of uh, older Americans, older people around the world. Right. This, this reminds me of um, the the recent book that I read by David Brooks called The Second Mountain. Are you familiar with uh, that? I'm familiar with it. Yeah. And it's really about how um, many people spend sort of, they, they climb two mountains in their life. The first one is all about achievement and building wealth and, you know, forming family and so forth. And then kind of looking around going, what's next? And the second mountain is about more the, the, the fulfillment. What, what can I do that actually gives me joy and um, that where I feel like I'm giving back? Um, so those correspond, by the way, to our second and third ages. Okay, I want to conclude by asking you this question that you pose in your book. What will determine if it's a good thing or a bad thing that the global center of gravity is shifting from youth to age it depends upon the attitudes and behaviors of uh, both youth and age i'd say three things one is everyone has to overcome both tacit and explicit ageism and give elders or retirees or whatever we want to call them more opportunity to thrive and uh, more opportunity to contribute so maybe help them get organized to do good but then flip that around. Number two, it depends upon the generosity, the renewed purpose, as you say, how they want to be fulfilled, but the purpose of retirees and elders to give back and make a difference if they really decide to do that. And then I'd say, I don't know if this is a third piece or it underpins both of them, but it takes an increasing sense or awareness of our interdependence, including across generations and we feel that was a helpful sign a helpful sign that was on the rise before the pandemic and maybe you know a small silver lining of the pandemic is making everyone more aware of how interconnected we are and how much good we can do for each other make sure to check out bob and ken's book what retirees want a holistic view of life's third age thank you so much for having me it was a pleasure I want to thank my audio engineer, Dustin Walker, 
And I also want to thank you for listening. My goal is to develop a large following, so I want to ask you to take a minute and subscribe to Miller Meets World on Apple Podcasts or follow Miller Meets World on Spotify. And then slide on over to the ratings and give me five stars. Thank you so much.